You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name is Donnie Marsh. I work in student ministry here at Riverside, and it is my pleasure and my privilege this morning to kind of close out this whole theme of Step Forward that we've been in, and next week we're going to start something brand new, a new focus for the year. We'll talk a little more about that later, but this is our last week to step forward. No? It shouldn't be our last week to step forward. So last week, I'm going to be up here talking about stepping forward uh, like we have been. And uh, we're kind of looking at the, the last part of the book of Acts. This summer, we've been focusing on the book of Acts. And so we're going to close that out and kind of take a, a real broad look at the, at the final stretch of Acts. And before we do that, uh, thinking about step forward and uh, thinking about specifically our topic for this morning or what we're going to be talking about this morning, I was thinking about something that happened uh, a few years ago. It didn't happen to me. Technically, I shouldn't say it happened to me because it's more like it happened to my wife, Shelly. Uh, my wife, Shelly, I would say is a pretty sure-footed person. And uh, there was a day, and she's, she, we got to know something about Shelly's personality, first of all. If you don't know us, Shelly is very quiet. Uh, she's pretty cool, pretty collected. And when something traumatic happens to her, it's hard to know it all the time because she just plays it cool, especially when she hurts herself, when she slices her finger in the kitchen, when she stubs her toe, when she cuts herself. She's really calm about it to the point where sometimes it's maybe a little worse than, than what she's playing it off to be. I, on the other hand, am the extreme opposite of that. As you can imagine, I think that's how some marriages, a lot of marriages work. Uh, I'm the crazy person that freaks out. I've been doing it for a long time and I'm pretty good at it. Um, and uh, as actually, I thought it was recent, but it was a few years ago that uh, Shelly w- came into the house and, and she was kind of like looking like her toe was hurting her a little bit. And I'm like, hey, what's wrong? She just quietly went in the kitchen and had something and was, was dealing with her toe. And so I'm like, hey, what's the matter? What's going on? She goes, oh, I like stepped wrong out on the, you know, the front step, the concrete steps coming up to the front of the house. And, of course, I'm like, well, let me see. Holy smokes. Listen, I, could, I have pictures. I couldn't even bring them because I was worried how you'd respond. I was worried that somebody would get up and leave. I, would wor- I was worried that you'd be talking about that and not about Jesus when you left. So I didn't bring any pictures, honestly, because it was that gross what she did to her toe. It was crazy. And I looked at it, and I'm not really the pass-out kind, but I'm like, holy smokes, Shell! What did you do to your toe? And what she did to her toe, I'll tell you. So don't, if, you, if you're like, if this stuff freaks you out, just don't do a lot in your imagination with it. But uh, she was coming up the front step. And honestly, I, I, logistically, I don't know exactly what she did. I know what the end result was, which was gruesome. But she was kind of, somehow she misstepped or misjudged where the edge of the step is concrete steps. She misjudged, and she was wearing a pair of flip-flops. And she misjudged where the step was, and somehow caught her big toenail on some part of that step and just just maimed herself. It was just awful. And what it resulted in really was her basically just kind of uh, non-surgically removing her toenails, basically what she did, her big toenail. And it looked horrific. I mean, it was very dramatic. It was just terrible looking. It was gruesome. The pictures, I think the pictures did justice. It was terrible. I saw it, I freaked out, and she's like, yeah, you know, this really stinks. I think I need to have it looked at. I'm like, yeah, you need to have it looked at. 
you need to go like right now. And she ended up going and having it looked at. And uh, it was the assessment of the, the whoever she went to, foot doctor, foot specialist, I don't know. They decided to just like cut the whole nail off. Like they removed everything because they wanted it to heal right. And so it ended up being a, a thing where it was good she went to the doctor. But man, it was nasty. And it wasn't just nasty for a day. It was nasty for a few days, and then there was the whole non-toenail stage. It was just kind of weird, you know, and uh, it was crazy. And, you know, I never really imagined that our front step should have a watch your step. You know how they have that printed? Watch your step on the on steps. Sometimes it's, it's facing you and you're walking toward them. I never imagined that that should be there. But have you ever heard someone, or maybe you've done this to somebody, or maybe you've been the recipient of this? Like you'll do something like that. You'll trip or you'll, you'll stumble or maybe you'll even fall. And what does someone say then? Watch your step. Be careful. It's a little late. You know, like too often that news comes late. And the truth is, you know, in my, my uh, assumption is that usually when you see watch your step on anything, what does that mean? Someone bit it at some point, and they probably didn't put that there until someone hurt themselves. Like, hey, maybe we should put a sign there that says watch your step. Too often, the whole watch your step warning and a lot of warnings, be careful is another famous one, you know, like someone just said. Too often, those warnings come late, after we have already tripped, after we've already fallen. And beyond, you know, the warning of watch your step, beyond that warning, we we can look at that and say, okay, well, that's going to be good for me. If I I see, if I pay attention, which a lot of us, you know, I, I don't do it. We're so much visual imagery, billboards and printed stuff everywhere. I walk past stuff all the time and I just don't see things. And I think some of you guys probably can identify with that. Beyond the personal benefit of heeding a warning like that that's in print for our own good, there are some other benefits to that. Now, how many of you guys, and this is a rhetorical question, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how many of you guys have been walking and you've seen Watch Your Step and you've thought, and you just got angry? You know, don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me to watch my step. How dare you try to tell me what to do? No, I mean, I don't think we respond like that. Usually when you see that, you're like, okay, I need to be paying attention here. Or someone fell here. Or someone's thinking about me here. Usually, I don't hear people getting mad at those kinds of signs. But, but it is something that you're being told to do, right? But somehow, some way, we interpret that as helpful information. We interpret that when we see that as someone trying to make sure that we don't trip and fall and we don't hurt ourselves. But it is a warning. It's a warning that's supposed to help us, that's supposed to be for our own good. So what happens when we watch our step? Why shouldn't we and why don't we get angry when we hear that warning to watch our step? We all see the personal benefits, but is there more to that? Is there more to watching our step? We're talking about stepping forward, following Jesus, being believers in God, embracing who he is, reaching out for him. And as we step forward to grow in that relationship with God, to grow in our knowledge of God, is there a benefit to watching our step? Let's pray. Jesus, we are here this morning because you came into this world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. We're here this morning because you died on the cross to purchase a salvation for us that cannot be taken away. 
that you rose from the dead to give us hope beyond this life. And so this morning, we want to grasp the truth that you have for us through your word. Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and open our hearts to hear from you and help us to heed the loving warnings that you give us to watch our steps so that someday we can stand before you unashamed of the way we've lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what happens when we watch our step? So what I'm going to do, I would, it would behoove you, if you haven't done so already, to take a look for yourself, to read through Acts 18 through 28 on your own. This is going to be like a 40,000-foot view of Acts 18 through 28, the very last steps of Acts, the last steps of Paul and the team of people that was around him. And I'm just going to kind of pull out some stair steps today that will help us work on this concept of watch your step. So the, the first excerpt here uh, I want to look at is in Acts chapter 18. And uh, like I said, this is the, f- the final stretch of Acts. Uh, Paul has been in Corinth, and he's meet, met Priscilla and Aquila. He's, he's met some new people. He's watching this news about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He's watching this news take root in people's lives. He's watching it grow in cities, grow in communities. He's meeting new people that, that aren't just becoming uh, followers that, that come to church on Sunday morning. He's, he's meeting people that God is actually developing into being leaders in the church that are going to be influential in the church spreading uh, beyond Paul's ministry even. So uh, Acts chapter 18 and verse 9, Paul often was in places where uh, it was difficult and he was meeting a lot of resistance, just uh, tough work he was doing with uh, him and his team. In 18, Acts 18.9, it says that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. It's interesting the encouragement that Paul receives there directly from Jesus. And it's kind of a twofold encouragement. And, you know, I think we see Paul as uh, a pretty dominant personality. He seems unstoppable. He seems unwavering. And I think he was in many cases. But I would venture a guess, if I had to, that uh, 18.9 is coming at a time when he probably needed to hear this from God because he was human. And there might have been some moments where he was faltering a little bit, where he was struggling, where he was tired, where he was beaten down, literally beaten down. And so Jesus comes to him and encourages him and speaks to him something that is not only true for Paul, but Luke thought to write it down for us too. An encouragement we all need to hear. He says, I am with you and I have many people in this city. Those are two things that can help us so much when we get closed in and lost inside of our own struggle and our own darkness. Sometimes we're living life, we're living for God, and all we can see is the difficulty in front of us. All we can see is the fog around us. And he says to him, I'm with you. Jesus promises. And did he already say this? Yes, absolutely he said this. And Paul knew that he said this. And the disciples probably told Paul that before Jesus ascended, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But here he comes again with a timely reminder that I am with you. I hope as you're following Jesus, as you're seeking God, as you are giving your life daily to him, as you are submitting yourself to his will, I hope you'll hear him say this morning, I'm with you. You're not walking alone. You'll never be alone. It is impossible for you to remove yourself from my presence. 
I promised I'd never leave you. And even when you can't feel me, even when you can't hear me, if you are following me, I am with you. There is no place that you can't go. You can't get away from the presence of God. And so that's not meant to freak us out. It's meant to tell us that nothing can take the presence of God away from your life. And he doesn't stop there because honestly, I think that's enough. That's enough for Jesus to tell us, I am with you. But I love how he says, I have many people in this city. You know, that's just a reminder to me that the kingdom of God is way more vast than I will ever comprehend. When I'm stuck in my little corner dealing with the things that are right in front of me, God wants me to know and he wants you to know that there are a lot of other people out there whose hearts are his. And and Jesus has been reminding people about this for a long time. People who are, who are following him with a whole heart. You know, if we're following God with our whole heart, if we really believe and we're sincere, it doesn't mean we're not going to have times like this. On the contrary, I think the more you serve God, the more you submit yourself to him, the more you try to live for him in a broken world, I think you're going to have more moments where you feel alone. More moments where you're wondering how things are going to turn out. More moments where you look around you and you're struggling. And Jesus comes and says, I have lots of people in the city. Don't worry, you're not by yourself. Such an encouragement. And that's like the bonus promise, I think, in these passages. So two layers. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence and the gift of the Holy Spirit, is with us all the time when we're watching our step. And then he says, I've got other people that are there. And I think a lot of times we've got, to, we've got to hear that from God, and then we have to open ourselves up to the reality of both of those things. He says, I'm with you. He says, there are people that follow me that are around you. The question then becomes, will we open our lives to the presence of God? And will we acknowledge the presence of Jesus? And will we open our lives to the presence of other people? And will we acknowledge their presence in our lives? Other imperfect people who are following Jesus just like us. When you're watching your step, when you're paying attention to the way you're living, to the way you're believing, to your doctrine, to the teaching you adhere to, when you're, when you're watching your step carefully to make sure that you're following Jesus, you don't walk alone. And Paul was, Paul was watching his step. He was being very deliberate. He was being very careful. He was trying his best in a humble way, in an open way, in a seeking Jesus way. He was trying to live for God. And when we do that, when we do that, when we watch our step, we don't walk alone. So hear that this morning. And maybe you've been here at Riverside long enough to hear us just constantly ringing this bell of what we call C groups. All the time ringing this bell. And I think there's a slide for it here. This is the reason we do this stuff. And why do we talk? Why, why during a sermon or preaching do we, do we plug church programming? The reason that we do stuff like this and the reason we connect it is because we're trying to give opportunities for the programming to flow out of what we believe God wants us to be as a spiritual community. So the C group thing is all about the people part. It's all about the connecting with other people part. There's only so deep we can go sitting in a general assembly. 
coming in on a Sunday morning, listening to a talking head like myself, and then getting up and just walking out. We want you to connect with other people and to find ways to do that. So we can't do all of that as a church. We can't program this, but we can try to give some tools for you to be able to connect and have an opportunity maybe to meet people uh, in a certain context to try different things. So that's why we do stuff like connect groups and C groups. So, so take a look at that. This is, this is the plug for C groups and this idea that you are not alone that there are other people that want to help you grow, that want to know uh, what your life is like and what you're going through, that want to support you and encourage you. There are people that need these things from you, and some of them might be waiting in a C group, and a connect group for you. So please take advantage of these. Pray about it, I would say. You know, pray about it. Ask God whether it's time for you to get involved, and uh, if you need any help from us, let us know, and we'll get you, we'll get you, try to get you involved. So, Moving on, uh, Paul was also in the city of Ephesus for a while. Ephesus was a, a really important place for Paul. Uh, he had a lot of very close relationships there. For three years, he was there. And Ephesus was one of those unique places where uh, the th- things were right, the, the atmosphere and the receptivity to the gospel was there, so that a lot of actual supernatural things happened. In Paul's ministry, in the team's ministry, a lot of flashy kind of stuff. God moved in really visible ways with healing people and miracles and supernatural things. And a lot of awesome stuff happened there. And in Acts 19, I'll let you read that for yourself, but we see a little blip and there's some powerful words to summarize what's going on and what happened in the ministry there. Acts 19, verse 17, part of verse 17 says, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So as they went into these cities, as they were careful, as they were thoughtful about living for God and doing ministry for him, Paul and the team of people around him, and you can read all of the names. That's another thing I'd encourage you to do. We talk about having others in this city and being around other people. If you read through Acts and read all of the names that aren't Paul or Peter, read every name that's not one of the big names, there are a lot of names. There were a lot of incredible people involved in the work. And so we'll say Paul and the team, or I'll say something like that, or Peter, but there were so many people that God was using. And so in Ephesus, another one of those places, it says the name of the Lord was held in high honor. And I thought, that's pretty awesome. So when we're really focused on doing what God wants us to do, there will be fruit that grows out of that. Because of the way we live, because of the way we approach following Jesus, There should be people around us. There should be a result that is something like that. And it goes on. It says, many of those who believed, in verse 18, many of those who believed in Ephesus now came and openly confessed what they had done. So there was this acknowledgement of, man, we've been living the wrong way. We've been following the wrong gods. We've not been living the way we should. Verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly, which was like burning money. This is where valuables. These are like people setting their Mercedes on fire. All right, these people taking their material possessions and saying, man, look, we've been going down the wrong road. We need to do an about face. We need to turn. We need to follow God. We need to follow Jesus because in him is life and in him is freedom. And so it had this very tangible result in Ephesus during that time in these people's lives. So very visible, very public fruit of this. And a lot of conflict came with that. Verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So you have a few people a few people who watched their step, a few people who humbly went into these cities with a message and look at the result of their faithfulness. When you watch your step, you help others step forward as well. 
Watching our step just isn't about us. When we're conscious, when we're careful, when we're focused on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us, other people can't help but step forward. If you're really following Jesus, and and Jesus talks about it in terms of being a light, when he puts a light in us, and when we're paying attention to that light, that light can't help but shine. And when light shines, people can see to move forward. And that's what he wants for all of us. In the simple things, it starts with the daily obedience stuff. It starts with how we conduct ourselves, watching our step in our own homes, with our own parents, and with our own children. It starts walking the hallways at school, watching your step in the cafeteria, watching your step in the classroom so that your teachers can see who you are and what your faith looks like. When we watch our step at work in the little things, in the little things that we think no one notices, the conscience things that you do, the things with, that relate to integrity and character, it starts with those things. When we watch our step in those ways, we help other people step forward. And sometimes it turns into a Mercedes burning in a parking lot. I'm not, I'm, if you drive a Mercedes, I'm trying to pick, I'm just trying to give an example of something that I think of as being expensive that you, you get what I'm saying. They burned their scrolls. It was very important to them. So you fill in the blank, whatever it may be, there'll be flashing. Somebody like, wow, holy smokes, why are they doing that? That's what I'm talking about there. So sometimes it does turn into those very visible things where people are turning to God and it turns a lot of heads and it gets a lot of attention. And people are like, wow, who is Jesus? What are these people doing? Why are they living like this? So it goes all the way from the quiet stuff all the way to the big stuff. When the Spirit of God moves in us, and when we watch our step, we help others step forward. And I do believe that we should do that intentionally. We should watch our step because we're being faithful. We're being obedient to God. We want to serve him and and live a life that regardless of how people respond, we just want to give our life as an offering to God because he gave life to us, first as our creator and also as the one who died to buy us back. But also I do think it's important sometimes to let people see us watch our step. Kind of like Daniel praying in front of the open window. He wasn't hiding anything. I think it's good to be intentional so that people can see that we're following Jesus and perhaps they'll be inspired to follow the God that has given us life, the God that we love so much and we believe holds the key to life and eternal life. So moving on to Acts chapter 20, Paul ends up in Macedonia. These guys traveled a ton. I don't know how they did this with no like modern transportation. It must have been exhausting. Macedonia for three months and they went to Philippi, went to Troas, these different cities with different cultures, different characteristics. And at a, a place called Miletus, Um, Paul got together with some people that are very near and dear to him, the Ephesian elders. So this would be like him getting together with with people he knew were following Jesus and they knew him. They had shared some times together, you know, in life and in ministry. They had seen some things together. They had watched God do powerful work. And so they get together. They're very, very close. It's a very close group of people. So this would be like you getting together with, with your most trusted spiritual friends who you know get God and they get the way you live and you just look forward to being with them because just being in the same room with them is encouraging, vice versa. And it's, it's equal, it's mutual give and take. And so Paul, it's like rest for him. To be around them was like respite for him. He, did, he probably didn't have to have his guard up. He just got to go be with these people who he loves so much. And so he meets with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 18. He's giving them, it's kind of final conversations is what, what, what this is. He's kind of talking to them and um, he's about to depart from them. And it says that in, in part of verse 18 there, it says, he says to them, you know how I lived 
when I was with you, you saw me watch my step. I wasn't hiding anything. I just didn't get up and teach and preach. You saw the way I lived, the real me. All my weaknesses, the difficulties, you saw how I lived, and I didn't hold anything back from you. And then verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Man, is that a simple model for just everything? In daily life, to walk, to live, to serve, to love, with the power of the Holy Spirit, because I can tell you right now, I do not have the ability to do that in and of myself. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, to serve the Lord with great humility and tears. Wouldn't that be awesome for the headstone or on the urn? If someone could stand up at the end of our lives and say, this person served the Lord with great humility and with tears. They served the Lord. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm, what I'm striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do. And if you skip ahead to verse 24, he says to them, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So in verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, every night with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. And continuing on in verse 35, he says, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul watched his step in a very unique way. And the truth is that this is most of the tone to the way Paul's saying that he tried to live and did live is very counter to our human nature. When we get up in the morning, I don't believe that it's our gut instinct to be humble, to look out for other people before ourselves, to consider our lives worth nothing, only that we just serve God and do what he wants us to do. I think the broken human side of us wants the opposite of that. But the truth is that when we step forward, when we watch our step, we live differently. Our lives don't look like everyone else's. Our lives don't look like the world looks. And it's supposed to be that way. Jesus came to teach us, to inspire us, to encourage us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the, the power to live differently than the world lives. And so somehow to see God. And so somehow to grasp a hold of this message that is life-changing. This, this weird message that if we do this stuff, because we would look at that and say, man, that's not going to get anyone anywhere in life. But somehow it gets us everywhere in life. Somehow we are the most fulfilled. Somehow we have the biggest promise of a life to come. Somehow we can live with no regrets. But somehow when we scrap for ourselves, when we just look out for us, when we put ourselves first, when it's about self-preservation, when it's about being out there in the, in the rat race, somehow we end up depleted. Somehow we end up disappointed. Somehow it's never enough. So why the warning? Watch your step. Watch your step. Watch your step. Because we are so prone to live that way, 
Since the beginning of time, this is what we do. It's what humans do. And if we're not careful, he says, be careful. I warned you. He war- Why did he warn them? Did he warn them because he wanted to abuse them as a harsh preacher? Did he warn them because he didn't like them because they were Greeks and he was a Jew and he was just trying to stick them? No, he was warning them because he loved them. And it's interesting that this is, he's on the final stretch. And he's saying, I don't have much more time with you guys. Like, I've basically given you everything I have to give you. And I am warning you to be on your guard. I'm warning you to be careful because it is easy for all of us to trip and fall. It's easy for us if we've been following Jesus for 30 years. It's easy if we know every scripture verse by heart in all the original languages and in English too. It's easy for us to trip and fall if we go to church every week and if we serve and if other people think we're super awesome. It's easy for us to trip and fall in the fourth quarter after we've played every quarter perfectly. It's easy to trip and fall at the very, very end. So he's saying, watch your step. Not out of anger. Paul loved them. And he knew what was at stake, not only their lives and their salvation, but the people that they were responsible for the people that God had put them over to influence and to love. So he says, watch your step. And when we do that, our lives look different. So does my life look different? And I need to ask myself that every day. And I got to tell you, there are days I do not feel good about that. (laughs) There are days I don't feel good about that. There are conversations, difficult conversations that I, laying in bed at night, have with Jesus about the fact that my life looks a little too much like that of the world. And him and I have to work that out on a regular basis because there's stuff inside of me that just keeps bubbling up constantly. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, man, help me to stay on track here. Help me to stay focused. And I'll tell you what, and I, I don't mean, I, this isn't meant to be discouraging, but if you're newer to faith, I, I don't think it gets easier. I think we have to always put the work in. We've always got to be focused. We've always got to be striving to be closer to Jesus. We've always got to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us. And sometimes life beats you up to the point where you need it even more. So I would encourage you to watch your step. Be careful and live differently so that God can use you. Paul was about service. He was about giving. He was about God and he was about others. He was about building the church. He cared about the cause of God in the world. He cared about the gospel. He said, man, I got one goal. People just have to know who Jesus is. They have to know that there's more to this life than just living and dying. That was his whole aim. And I think there's something to that. The unselfishness, not just being a consumer, not being focused on himself and saying, it's my time now. I mean, he, Paul never said that. And the people that were around him, see, they didn't spend a lot of time saying, well, you know, it's, it's our turn now to just enjoy life and have a good time, be comfortable. Paul didn't live for comfort. And that's different. People look at, people look at, if you're really following Jesus, people look at you and say, man, you're crazy. Why do you give all that money to the church? Why, why do you sacrifice? Why do you sponsor this kid? Why do you serve at that event? Why do you not indulge yourself in this? Why do you not talk that way? Why are you so weird? Sometimes people don't understand it because we're living differently. Paul goes on to Tyre, Acts 21, in verse 4. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. So they're, they're meeting with more people. Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul did go to Jerusalem, and it got real ugly there. But look at the the weird thing there. Through the Spirit, they warned him. So they were hearing the Spirit, 
and interpreting what the Spirit was telling them as they needed to tell Paul not to go. It's interesting. Sometimes the Spirit talks to us, and we think we understand, but we kind of get it wrong. And so they were great people. They loved God. The Spirit was actually able to speak to them, and they figured, well, the Spirit's saying bad things are going to happen to Paul, so naturally we must tell him not to go because that's what the Spirit's telling us. And then this, this prophet named Agabus, and prophets are just weird. In the Bible, all backwards and forwards, they're just weird people. I love them. They're great, but they're weird. And they act stuff out a lot. So Agabus, the prophet, he does this little drama thing where he gets his belt and like ties Paul up with it and stuff. And he's like telling him, basically, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. And then look what it says in verse 12, Acts 21, 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Love this. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. We could all get to that place quicker. When you watch your step, others may not understand. Sometimes this life, this self-sacrificial life, this life of putting God and his kingdom first, sometimes even the Christians around us will get a little wigged out by it. And sometimes people around you won't understand what God's calling you to do with your life and what God wants you to do with your life. And man, as a youth pastor, I've seen this a million times. Just one example of that is when, when God forbid, some kid, God speaks to them and says, you need to be a missionary or you need to go into full-time ministry. Parents are like, oh, no, Lord, let it not be, you know? And so the, the, there's always, they're always coming to me then. All right, I've had so many parents come to me over the years be like, listen, we don't understand. You're going to have to tell us what this is, man. What's all this about? Whew. Okay. Sometimes it's just hard for us to get, and they're not bad people. These are people that love God, you know, so it's just tough to understand that sometimes. And we have to understand that we don't live for the approval of other people, that primarily we need to seek the voice of Jesus and just realize sometimes that part of doing that is just that people may need some time to come along. And they did. They came along. They got it. They saw God working, and they recognized it, and they resigned themselves to God's will. So we need to be focused and determined to do what God wants, no matter what the voices around us are saying, because sometimes they just won't understand. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. A big fight starts. He was always in the middle of fights. Sometimes he kind of stoked him a little bit to kind of move things a certain direction. So he gets arrested, and the crowd's like, all right, tell us what you're all about. And he tells his page-turner, his page-turning story of awakening and overcoming. He tells the, the crowd, and he gets to the resurrection part, and they freak out, and there's a big fight. In Acts 23, 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So then he gets shipped out to a place called Caesarea, two years under arrest. There's a quick blip in Acts, but he's in a jail cell for two years. He appears before governing authorities, and he's telling them about Jesus, and he's, he's working in ministry, even in prison. And then he appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen, gets sent to, sent to Rome. And in Acts 28, 30, because Paul watched his step and he listened to Jesus, he did all these things. It says, Acts 28, 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What's the thing today? Watch your step. 
Paul watched his step, and he spent a lot of time warning others to do the same. And because he did it, because Paul watched his step, because he warned based on love, he was able to accomplish God's purpose through his life. So would you rather hear to watch your step before you need to hear it, or would you rather hear after you needed to hear it? So if sometimes you go to church or you have people in your life that are like, hey, watch your step, and your tendency is to recoil, I'll ask the question again. Would you rather hear from the spiritual people around you, from the Word of God directly, all based on the Word of God, from from the church, if you want to call it that? Would you rather hear watch your step before you need to hear it? Or would you rather hear it after you needed to hear it? I think we'd all say before. It's said in love. Because Paul watched his step, he was able to say in 2 Timothy 4, 7, something I hope we all can say when we get to the end. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. How will you watch your step? As you sit here today, how do you need to watch your step? What areas should you be focused on and inviting the Holy Spirit to work in in your life after all we've talked about this morning? I want to ask the worship team to come up, and I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you would think for a moment about what your next step should be in response to what you've heard this morning from the Word of God. What should your next step be forward in following Jesus? Who do you need to sit down and have a conversation with about the steps that you're currently taking and how well you're watching your step? What's the Holy Spirit elbowing you about right now? What's the Holy Spirit been tapping on your shoulder about? And a lot of times he starts doing it weeks and months before we ever sit in a place like this and hear what we're hearing this morning. What's the Holy Spirit been saying and what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Who hopes that you'll Start watching your step a little closer. What people in your life need you to be careful and to be focused and to be intentional and to be humble and focused on doing the work of God? What is at stake around you? Because guys, if we get to the end of our lives and we just spent it running the gerbil wheel and we weren't focused on the kingdom of God, it all burns. The only thing that lasts is what we give to Jesus. The only thing that lasts is what we're able to share by way of this life-giving message of Jesus dying for sinners like me on the cross and rising from the dead to give us eternal life. That's the only thing that's going to matter at the very end. What is our life communicating and what is our focus? If you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking... I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God. The beautiful news for you this morning is he is one conversation away. All you have to do is start talking to him this morning. In an environment like this where it's quiet and where there's where there are a bunch of people around you that are, that are rooting for you and want you to know who God is, I encourage you just to start talking to him and start by acknowledging how broken you are and how much you don't know. And how open to him you are. So maybe this morning you'd, you'd talk to him and ask him to come into your life and to block out the past and forgive your sin and your brokenness and start something brand new with you today.
Maybe you're here this morning and your prayer would be, God, forgive me because I've not been watching my step very closely. And I want to get back on the right track. I want to get back on the right track. Jesus, I want to serve you. I want my life to be lived for you. God, I don't want my sin to determine how my life goes. So Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you forgive me and would you help me? Maybe you're here this morning and you're exhausted and I know that happens. Maybe your prayer is, God, help me because, man, I don't know how I'm going to do the next lap of this race. I don't know how I'm going to do any more of this. I'm physically tired. I'm emotionally tired. I'm discouraged. I feel alone. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with the church. I'm disappointed with even Christians around me I'm disappointed with. I don't feel anything right now. My emotions are dry. Holy Spirit, is there a way that you can come in and help me to take the steps I need to take, even though I'm feeling like this? Is there a way for you to start putting the nerves back together, for you to heal me, for you to give me strength to keep moving forward, taking steps closer to you? I'm desperately crying out to you for strength this morning, Holy Spirit, because I don't even feel qualified to represent you. I'm fighting so many things. Would you help me this morning? to live for you. God, I pray for all those gathered here this morning. May your grace, may your strength, may your peace, forgiveness, and love flow into their lives and flow out of their lives to those around them. We respond to you in worship and singing and in prayer this morning. We begin a conversation. We posture ourselves to make some decisions to move forward in a healthy way with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.